Hello, I'm Laura Hamilton. Welcome to Book Larder Podcast, where we share author talks from the kitchen of Seattle's Community Cookbook Shop. We're officially in the holiday season now, which means we are also deep in the heart of pie season. Pie is welcome any time of year as far as I'm concerned, but for many of us, pies are a celebratory, special occasion dish. If that's how you see pie, then today's author, Kathy Barrow, would like you to reconsider your perspective with her latest book, When Pies Fly. Kathy explores pie in its many forms, hand pies, empanadas, knishes, you get the idea. With an array of sweet and savory flavors and step-by-step instructions and photos to guide you, Kathy writes the Bring It column for the Washington Post, and her first cookbook, Mrs. Wheelbarrow's Practical Pantry, is an IACP award winner. She visited the Booklarder Kitchen in October 2019. Here's Kathy Barrow and When Pies Fly. Thank you. I was saying it's pretty unusual for me to be talking without a knife in my hand, so I'm going to do my best. But if I get stuck, somebody just give me a chef's knife. This is my second book on pie. In the last three years, I've made over 800 pies. I counted because I became curious, you know, like when things are just overwhelming you, you have to focus on something. I made 200 pies for the Pie Squared cookbook, which was my slab pie book. And then when this one started, it just went a little crazy. 800 pies. So I can answer your questions. I've worked out a lot of the details. What happened was I was working on Pie Squared and making all these pies slab pies in a nine by 13 pan. And I always had a little bit of filling or a little bit of dough or something hanging around in my refrigerator. And I hate food waste. And so I started just forming small pies with whatever was left over. And I became fascinated with the idea of how I could put pies together, small, large galettes, what I call pie poppers. It's like a three bite pie, which is sometimes just perfect, like around five o'clock with a glass of wine or around 11.30 at night with a scoop of ice cream, either way. And then I started thinking about how pie is so universal that if we started to think about pie as any pastry that had something inside of it, like make pie this umbrella and empanadas were under there and knishes were under there and stromboli, and even strudel, and hand pies, and galettes. And suddenly, I started to realize that almost every cuisine has some form of pie, if we expand our understanding of what pie is. A samosa, a spring roll. I mean, all of these items from all around the world. I was speaking about this about three weeks ago, and a woman raised her hand and said, have you had any pushback about this idea? And I'm like, no, no pushback, because I think I'm doing it all in sort of good spirits. Pie is a great thing. It makes everybody happy. I've never handed somebody a piece of pie and had them say, no, I don't think so. They'll say, yes, or I'll keep it for later. Not, I'm, I don't think so. So pie, I just love it. I've loved pie forever. I've been making them since I was a little girl. My stepdad's birthday is in mid-July, the time when sour cherries become available in the East. And so every year from the time I was about 12, 
I would make him a sour cherry pie for his birthday. And that became my, I was known for that pie. So I was really famous for my sour cherry pie. And when I entered a pie contest in 2009 and I won, the editor was the editor of the Washington Post food section, Bonnie Benwick. And that was what launched my food career. So I feel very attached to pie as part of who I am as a food writer. You know, I think that, that a lot of people get stuck on pie, few places. The first is the dough. People are afraid of making pie dough. They think they'll overwork it. They can't roll it out. It's too complicated. To which I say, if you're afraid of pie dough, buy the dough get into making pies, and pretty soon you're going to wonder what it would be like if you made your own. Nora Ephron famously said she would never make a pie crust because she could buy a perfectly fine one. I think if she were alive, I would like to go and visit with her and teach her how to make mine <laughs> because I'm pretty sure I could convince her otherwise. I call it dophobia. People get so scared because so many recipes say things like, combine the flour and the butter until it looks like Peas, corn, cornmeal, damp sand. I mean, what does all of that mean? So as I began to work on this book, on the first book particularly, and I was making my pie dough in the food processor, I actually counted the number of pulses until it became that pea, cornmeal, damp sand thing. And it was 15 pulses. So if you do that 15 times, you're going to get what all those other people are talking about. I just want to be precise so that you can be successful. Because as a food writer, if I knew that a recipe of mine didn't work, I'd be mortified. So over and over, I practiced and practiced until I could tell you those things. I also feel that when we're told to roll out dough until it's a quarter of an inch thick, that is like an impossibility. How do you measure from the counter a quarter of an inch? It's, it's really challenging. And it's been used in baking books forever. So instead, I use blue painter's tape to mark out the space that you're supposed to roll to. And when you take that disc of dough and you roll it to that size, it is going to be a quarter of an inch thick. But you don't have to worry about that quarter of an inch because you have the guide. So these are the things that for me were important as I started to work through this book to make sure that you could always be successful. There's a lot of chilling and um, putting it in the refrigerator, taking it out, putting it back in the refrigerator. So sometimes it looks onerous because there are all these steps. But the fact is, it's like 15 minutes here and 15 minutes there. And once you get into pie making, I like to believe that everybody should have pie dough in the freezer. There are pie emergencies. They happen. You know, if it's there, you can make a pie. When I make one pie dough, I make three because I know that I can make three in my food processor before I have to clean the, the bowl. And I don't like doing dishes. So I'll make three because I'm going to wash those dishes and I may as well make the three and put two in the freezer. What I learned mostly in making this book, When Pies Fly, is that you can make these hand pies and these pie poppers totally and freeze them and then bake them in the toaster oven, which of course means an afternoon snack or a midnight snack or a breakfast hand pie can all be accomplished very simply. So a weekend project of making some hand pies and popping them in the freezer means months of snacks and breakfasts and dinners. So that was another part. I like to think about freezing, about make ahead, 
about ways to make food for parties well in advance, uh, about using leftovers. Leftovers became a real theme for me because I began to understand, particularly as I considered the international implications of my pie umbrella, how for generations, pie makers or bakers or home cooks would take a little bit of meat or fruit or something, wrap it in pie, and now extend how many people they could feed. So with a pound of leftover roast beef, now you can feed 12 people. Whereas if you slice that into a sandwich, you could maybe feed three people. So I'm looking at all these ways that home cooks have used the concept of pie as a way to feed families on a budget. I think pie answers a lot of our questions. Make ahead, feed everybody, you know, and, and use up your leftovers. I really wish you'd ask questions because I'm bored with myself. Um, so seriously, I'm, I'm like pie 411. I can answer your questions. I've made a lot of them. I did a lot of photos in this, a lot of technique photos, because I think technique is going to help you all get better. There are 13 different crust recipes in here, including a chocolate crust and a brown butter crust. And that brown butter crust is awesome. And a caramelized onion and cheese crust, which is really fun too. Also an everything spice dough, so that you just put the uh, spice right into the dough as you mix it, and it tastes like a sandwich. And so like, I made a pie this morning on, what is that show called? New Day Northwest. It's with leftover turkey and leeks and bacon and gouda. So it's sort of like a great sandwich. You put it in that everything spice dough and it's really like a sandwich. And that for me is a perfect way to take care of that last bit of Thanksgiving turkey. I have Reader who's been posting these great videos. She and her four-year-old daughter are making pies. And the daughter's gotten really good. Her name is Reese and she rolls out the dough and she presses the pulse button on the food processor. And the other day, 13 pie doughs were not enough for Reese. She decided sprinkle dough was necessary. And I, I mean, I really wish I'd thought of it. But there she was spooning the sprinkles into the food processor. And there's this wonderful moment, her mom's filming, where you can see her look and look and think, oh, I'm just going to pour these all in here. And her mom's like, whoa, Reese, no, no, that's enough sprinkles. But, um, but I think that that's pretty much how the creative process works when you're a recipe developer. You're like looking at what can I put in here? How can I make this different or better or new? And I had a lot of fun with this book all the way through. I would, you know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. When you're a pie maker, everything starts to look like pie. So I'm out to dinner at the Korean restaurant and now I'm home making a you know, a Calbee's short rib hand pie. So everything I did, Every moment of my life became in some way interpreted into pie. So I hope that will all be true for all of you, too. Let me answer some questions now. Yes? Did you find any particular unexpected ingredient combination? I had this idea for a stromboli. A stromboli is kind of like the big brother to a calzone, you know, where it'll serve a lot of people. And I, I had this thought that I could take an antipasto platter and put it inside a stromboli, but I wanted to use puff pastry because it's part of what's in the book. And I did it, 
It was so good. First of all, I ate like half of it. And I said, okay, this has got to stop. And then I made it again because that's what, you know, I made a lot of times just to make sure it's really that good. And I took it to a party and I put it on the table and I turned around to say hello to the host and then it was gone. And I thought, well, that, that's a good sign. And then people were running up to me and it's like, what was that thing I just ate? And so I made it again and I took it to another party and the same thing happened. So that's probably the best example. That recipe is killer. It's just can't, can't be beat. Recently, I taught it in a class and because this has meat in it, they wanted a vegetarian version. So I roasted thin slices of eggplant for about 20 minutes and replaced the cured meats with the uh, sliced eggplant. And it was a really nice vegetarian option. So I recommend it. It's stupidly easy. And it, especially if you buy the puff pastry, you basically can go to the olive bar or whatever at the grocery store and you get some roasted red peppers and some artichokes and some olives and some mozzarella balls and provolone. And you just layer it all in there and fold up and put it in the oven and congratulate yourself. <laughs> you know. <laughs> It makes you look really good. Yes? Is there a time limit for how long you keep the dough in the freezer? Three months. You know, it used to be that you could keep dough in your refrigerator for a long time, but now, I'm sure if you've ever done this too long, it turns gray. And that's because we used to have bleached flour, even when I was growing up, you know, when the dinosaurs were roaming the earth, but it was bleached. And so it would stay that nice pure color, but now it's unbleached and in three days it grays. And if you rolled it out, you would see like gray streaks, sort of the right color underneath. There's nothing wrong with it. It's oxidation, but it's just not very pretty. So three months in the freezer and two and a half days in the refrigerator. Yes. So you made a lot of pies. I've made a lot of pies. <laughs> do, you, do you have like a personal favorite? Oh, you know, people ask me this a lot and I'm, I kind of play to the passing parade. It's like cherry season, apple season, you know, or I've got chicken in the refrigerator. Anything can be a pie in my mind. I don't have a favorite. Sour cherry is, is like my heart because I made it for so long and it was a family favorite, but no, I'll eat any pie. I'll make any pie. Yes. Beginning, you were talking about how you have like pies from other cultures, where you're spreading the definition of pie. Mm -hmm. So when you deal with something that's kind of, let's say, outside of your cultural realm, how did you approach that? Is that where like you find people in that culture to consult, or you'd be like, I'm never going to duplicate the exact thing, so I'm just going to do my take on these ingredients? It's pretty much my take. I mean, I certainly look at other cookbooks and research. I eat them, I taste them, I think, how can I recreate this? But I wasn't trying to make a samosa as a pie. I was creating a, an idea that was like that. Yes, ma'am. It's apple season. What do you put in like, to enhance the apples in your pies? I always add ginger. Uh, some people don't, but I love the way ginger and apple go together. It's cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger. That's pretty much it. A little butter. Butter's always good. Can't, can't go wrong with that. Bourbon. <laughs> I have a cheddar-crusted um, apple slab pie in pie squared, and that one's, I mean, that's 
I grew up with a mother raised in Boston, and I thought everybody put a slab of cheddar cheese on their apple pie. That's how we were served apple pie. But it was funny to find out that, that people thought that was weird. I was in my 20s having a dinner party and bringing out an apple pie with a plate of sliced cheddar, and people are like, what's that all about? But that was what we did. So do you work out of your home the whole time? Or do you actually have I a do. commercial kitchen you work out of now? Or? No, I do it all out of my home. And in fact, I moved to a condo right as I was writing the book proposal for Pie Squared and then made all those 800 pies living there. We, we've since moved. But my neighbors were so funny because I was new to the building, but I'm like, hi, I'm a food writer and there's a coconut cream pie in the mail room. And pretty soon, you know, I put out the mail and I could hear them running down the stairs. It was just hysterical. I got on the elevator one time and, and Bill Amos said to me, I check my email a lot more frequently since you moved in here. But thank goodness, it's a lot of pies. Um, you know, it's a lot. I can imagine your husband probably got tired of it. Well, you know, we all liked eating them, but not all of them. Like a slab pie will serve 15 people and I'd make four in a day. And it's like, wow, that's a lot of pie. And even when we did the photos for both books, I was in Bucks County with the Canal House team. They were my photographers. Their studio was on a street in Lambertville the first year and then they moved last year. But um, I would walk up and down the street with a baking sheet with pies wrapped in aluminum foil going into and out of all the stores going artichoke, asparagus, you know, <laughs> and they would choose and, and they really got used to it. And then last year, because we were no longer on that street, I found a women's shelter and I would take them pies every night and they were really happy. And when they go, they're still warm. It was really, it was a very uh, happy time for me. I was happy to be passing out pie. Pie does make you popular, you know. <laughs> I can't promise that, but I think that you know, a lot of people worry about perfection in pie, and we're bombarded by these pictures on the internet of beautiful, overly decorated pies. And I really want to move away from that. I think humble pie is perfectly fine. I have never, ever handed somebody a piece of pie and had them say, that's just not very pretty. I'm not interested. You know, I, and you can get to that pretty place, but you don't have to start there. Just learn to put a dough in a pie pan or whatever. It's just not that complex. And I want people to make pie. It's a good thing. Yes? How do you know when to blind bake it or not? I only blind bake if I'm either not going to be baking the interior for 40 minutes or more, or I'm not going to be baking it at all. Like if, you know, putting something in like a pudding filling. I did develop a way to avoid the dreaded soggy bottom. Mary Berry, thank you very much, right? <laughs> I accidentally came up with a very good solution. I use a baking steel. Do any of you know what they are? It's like a pizza stone, but it's steel which I had to get because I'm the only person in the universe who's broken three pizza stones. Three. Broke them. I mean, really, that shouldn't happen. So this is a piece of steel, 14 by 18, that you put in your oven and heat up and put your pizza on it or bread or anything like that. And it lives in my oven a lot of the time because it's 15 pounds and that's heavy. And I started the oven one day without realizing it was still in there when I was going to make a pie. And it was 425 degrees and 15 pounds, and it was staying there. 
And so I thought, oh, well, I'll just throw the pie in and see what happens. And that pie came out. It was one of the slab pies. And I could actually put a spatula under the pie and slide the whole thing out onto a cutting board, which was amazing. And then we could pick up the pieces and they were brown on the bottom, like you can't believe it. That became a great lesson for me in letting accidental things happen. But I did it over and over and I realized that this was the solution to getting the bottom nice and crispy. And I'd read a lot of different ways of doing that. I think Rose Levy Berenbaum tells you to bake your pie on the floor of the oven. There are others that say to put it in the top third. I mean, there's so many ways. But for me, the hot surface solved it. And if you don't have a pizza stone and you don't have a baking steel, then what you can do is just flip a baking sheet upside down and let that heat in the oven and then put your pie pan on top of it. You can't do it if you're using a glass pie pan because that will crack. But metal or all these pies in, when pies fly, cook in a baking sheet. So it just goes right on top. I also have a quick rough puff pastry in this, which is basically like puff pastry that you add water to. When you make a classic French puff pastry, it's a block of butter that you beat into a big pile of flour. And it's about the worst thing I've ever had to do in my life. But I figured out a way to add a little water early on, make a dough, roll it out, do the book fold in the same way that puff pastry is book folded and achieve a very similar pastry. I don't think I can officially call it puff pastry because I cheat, but it's very delicious and it's surprisingly easy to make. So I hope you'll try it. I do, I mean, I love my food processor and I love my stand mixer and I know a lot of people don't have the luxury of those appliances, but if you do, these dough recipes are super easy. If you don't, they're a little more challenging, but they still work out every time. Do you prefer butter? I like them all. Butter is my go-to because I just always, it's always in the house. I've got butter, I've got flour, I can make a pie crust. But a shortening crust will last longer on the counter, which I found really interesting. A butter crust lasts about two days, shortening will last about four. It's not often that a pie lasts that long in my house. But if you want to make your pies for Thanksgiving a day or two in advance, you should use a shortening crust because it'll stay flakier, crispier, and lovely longer. Yes, ma'am. Do you have a butter brand preference? Well, I don't use European butter ever for pie crust. And the reason is it has a lower water content. And that aspect I was talking about, the steam, you need water in your butter to get that steam, to get that flake. I use Costco butter because I buy it 15 or 20 pounds at a time. So that's great. Otherwise, you know, I'll use anything at the grocery store. Yeah, I know it's a lot of butter. It's crazy. (laughs) Yes, it's really important. Thank you for bringing that up. I had my assistant who was like, oh yeah, weighing, whatever. You know, I said, okay, I want you to to scoop out 10 one cup flour measurements right here in all these bowls. And she did that and we weighed it and they ranged from 110 grams to 142 grams. Now, and I'm working at 120 in my book. So if you add 22 extra grams per cup, and I'm calling for three cups, that's 66 additional grams. It's 20% additional. So you're never going to achieve what I'm looking for if you're not weighing. And it also helps you use fewer dishes. Back to my hating to do dishes. You know, you put your food processor bowl right on the scale, weigh your ingredients in. Your stand mixer bowl, 
weigh your ingredients in. And it's always going to mean fewer uh, mistakes, more consistency, and not as many dishes. And I think that's a win. So, Kathy, as we head to the holidays, mm-hmm. what kinds of pies do you suggest? Are there, you know, like party? Well, that antipasto stromboli is like <laughs> super delicious. Yeah, I, I really recommend it. Strudels are a lot of fun for the holidays. And I have three different recipes. There's one that's made with potato and bacon. And so if you have leftover mashed potatoes after Thanksgiving, you can just wrap that up in strudel dough with some bacon and it's pretty delicious. All these hand pies are great at the holidays, especially as we get into the party season. Like walking into a potluck with a a whole platter full of hand pies, it's so easy and fun and people are thrilled to have just a little pie to take with them or, you know, put on their plate. Pumpkin pie. Pumpkin pie. Honestly, I am not a fan. (laughs) I know. But I did learn to love pumpkin chiffon pie when I was doing the slab pie book. Um, I knew I had to have a pumpkin pie. I mean, you have to have a pumpkin pie. But I don't like the custard ones at all. So the chiffon, which has a little gelatin and some egg white, is very light and doesn't have that cloying quality that doesn't work for me. I know it's controversial. Do you have any ideas for like a breakfast empanada? Yes, and uh, in the When Pies Fly book, in the back, there's a kolache chapter. There are eggs and chilies and chorizo stuffed kolache, which are really delicious. And one thing I want to say is that this book is kind of like column A, column B, column C. You got your dough, you got your filling, you got your toppings, and you can mix them all up. Like if you like that egg and chorizo one, but you want to make hand pies, just turn to the hand pies and use that. Pretty consistently, the quantity for filling is the same throughout all the different recipes. I thought that would be easier. You know, it's like nice to be able to swap things around. You're very knowledgeable about pies. (laughs) Thank you, you, Laura. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you to Kathy Barrow for visiting us in Seattle. As always, you can get 10% off a copy of When Pies Fly and any other books featured on the Booklarder podcast by visiting booklarder.com and entering the code PODCAST at checkout. We have signed copies of When Pies Fly and many of the other featured books on the podcast, so be sure to get one of those while they last. They make excellent holiday gifts. And if you visit us in the shop, just mention that you heard about a book on the podcast for 10% off in-store as well. This episode was produced and edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme music was composed by James Coley. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review to help others find us. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where our handle is at BookLarder. For more information about BookLarder, including author talks, cooking classes, and to join our monthly email newsletter, visit BookLarder.com. And if you find yourself in Seattle, visit us at 4252 Fremont Avenue North. I'm Laura Hamilton. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.